Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. God willing, we'll be expounding verse 15 and 16. Wednesday night in prayer, um, or actually it, it may have been after Wednesday that I announced on the message group. And if you're not on the message group and you want to be on there, let me know. We'll make sure and add you. <clears throat> but uh, a young uh, pastor named Ronald in the Philippines had written me for advice. And um, I just wanted to update you all on that. <clears throat> he, uh, the, the pastor died. And before the pastor died, he... Uh, appointed Ronald as uh, the interim pastor until he got married. Then he'd be the full-time pastor. The pastor apparently thought that you had to be married to be a, uh, a pastor. And so he said, well, he'll be interim until he finds a wife. And uh, meanwhile, the former pastor's widow uh, didn't apparently didn't like her husband's selection. She's trying to influence to get another man in. It's only been saved about a year and a half. It's a mess. And uh, and he was asking, he, he wrote, and he said, Pastor, what do I do? <laughs> I thought, oh boy. So I had prayed and I wrote him the best biblical advice I could write him. But pray for Brother Ronald. He's trying his best to just do what God wants him to do and lead this fragmented body of believers. But you remember in the book of Exodus, there was a power struggle with the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. There was a power struggle. They're always challenging Paul's apostleship. And that's one of the ways the devil gets in and starts dividing the body. Uh, so uh, just be in prayer for Brother Ronald, please. I told him that our church would be praying for his church, and I, it'll mean so much to him. In fact, let's just pray now. Father, we just come to you now, and I just want to pray for Brother Ronald. And I want to pray for that church, Lord. And I pray, Father God, that you'll just fill them with your spirit. You'll give wisdom to Brother Ronald. Help him to teach your word and help the people to, to cling to the scriptures, Father, and to follow them with their whole hearts. And let humility uh, be in everyone's heart from the top down. And be fully submitted to your word. We ask it. And this body will recover after losing their leader. And that they will grow mightily in grace. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now this morning we're going to be, uh, begin to move away from the topic of uh, false teachers. As Paul begins to speak this morning on the issue of purification in verse 15. But what Paul says in verse 15 is probably not going to be immediately understood if you were to just take verse 15 and begin to read it, okay? Because Paul is speaking rather deeply this morning, okay? He's speaking very deeply. And so, lest we misunderstand what Paul is about to say, we need to remember what Paul has already said. So, real quick, uh, we'll look in, in verse 10 real quick and kind of catch you up. But Paul's been warning us about false teachers who destroy lives and damn souls by the lies that they teach. One thing we love to do here at Central Baptist Church is teach straight from the Bible. Because y'all didn't come to hear what I have to say or what I have to think. My opinion doesn't matter. But God's Word is all that matters. Now, in verse 10, if you'll look back in verse 10 quickly, Paul said, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, 
who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So Paul has been talking about hypocrites in the ministry. That they may appear holy on the outside, but they are unholy on the inside. Because they are willing to teach a lie for a dollar. Okay, Anyone who's willing to compromise uh, uh, right and wrong for the sake of money... They're not worth having around. And having made that understood, Paul now says, look in verse 15. Paul now says, unto the pure, all things are pure. Boy, that could be misunderstood in a few different ways, I think. But if I were to come up to you and say, hey, unto the pure, all things are pure. You wouldn't know what I was talking about. Paul is speaking deeply. He is commenting on something actually that Jesus had said uh, in, uh, in his teaching here on earth. But let's explain what Paul's talking about. The Greek word that's translated pure here, it means clean. Clean. So Paul is saying to those who are clean, everything is clean. Oh, Brother Richards, that means since I'm saved, I can go watch a dirty movie and it's clean to me. No, that's not what Paul is saying, okay? Whatever's uh, clean is, is, is uh, or whatever is sin is still sin. Whatever's not sin, still not sin. God hasn't changed his mind on that. But Paul is saying to those who are clean, everything is clean. But what is he meaning when he says that? Well, first of all, the only way to be pure, the only way to be clean is to be washed clean by your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to understand that in the Old Testament law, and that's where all of this comes from, under the pure, everything is pure. All of this is coming from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament law, if somebody had been contaminated, maybe with leprosy or something like that, or if someone was just unclean in the sense that they were common, they need to be sanctified for holy use or something, there were certain circumstances where they would sprinkle blood of an animal that died in the person's place. They would sprinkle that blood and they would sprinkle clean water on someone to make the person clean, ceremonially clean. Now, the blood and water didn't actually make them clean in the sense that, okay, there's no dirt under their fingernails now. But ceremonially, according to the the ceremonial law, the Old Testament, that sprinkle that blood and water on them and make them clean. And in the Old Testament, that was a picture of what Jesus would do for us in the New Testament, who now, with the sprinkling of His blood, having died for us on the cross, and the pure water of His Word, as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians, has made us clean. In fact, if you'll remember, Jesus told His disciples once, He said, Now are ye clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. See, He was referring back to the Old Testament. He was showing them, Hey! All of that in the Old Testament where you had clean and unclean, right? Clean animals, unclean animals, clean people, unclean people. You know, all of that, he, he, he was explaining that was just a picture of those who were defiled by sin and those that were made clean through the word that I will tell them, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Because the gospel 
contains the information, contains the wonderful truth about the blood He shed on the cross to wash our sins away and make us white as snow. Unto the pure, all things are pure. So with that in mind, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, tells us that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins, we can now draw near to God, quote, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, man, isn't that cool? So Hebrews is elaborating back on the Old Testament, explaining what it means. And so he says we can draw near to God before, well, we couldn't draw near to God. We had to stay far off, just like they did at Mount Sinai, right? Because a dirty, something unholy is not going to approach someone holy like God. But now that we have accepted Christ as our Savior, now that we have put our faith and trust in what He's done for us on the cross, then through His blood that He shed and the Word of God that tells us about the blood He shed that we believe and put our faith in, then the Bible says we have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. I no longer have to worry about my conscience being condemned for my sin. I can put my head on my pillow and know I am forgiven to the uttermost because of Jesus Christ. And my body is washed with pure water. In other words, I'm clean because there's two things. I want you to notice in Hebrews 10.22 that I just read you, there were two things. That were washed. The heart and the body. Which one? Listen closely now. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Which was mentioned first? The heart or the body? What's the difference between the heart and the body? Now I know you're going to say the heart's part of the body. But I want you to notice. The heart is where? Is is it... I mean, I can touch my nose. You can come pat me on the back. But y'all better keep your hands off my heart, right? The heart's on the inside, isn't it? And the body here is on the outside. Which came first? Which got clean first? The heart got clean first. And when the heart got clean, then the body was washed. You see how that works? The heart got clean first. The inside got clean first. Then the outside became clean. Under the pure, all things are pure. To those who are clean on the inside, everything's clean on the outside. That's basically what he's saying. We're going to get into that deeper here. In the Old Testament, blood and water could only be placed on which part of a person? The inside or the outside? They sprinkled everything on the outside. So the Old Testament law could only get them ceremonially clean. And it could only ceremonially clean them on the outside. It couldn't touch their inside. Now which part is the part that really needs to be clean about us? The inside. It's how we think, right? It's, it, it, it's the, the intentions of our heart that really need to be washed clean. That Old Testament law couldn't clean anybody in the sense of making them right with God. It could only clean them ceremonially. In other words, it could only clean them in the sense that it was a picture of how Jesus would really 
make them clean one day through the gospel. So it could clean them ceremonially on the outside, but it couldn't get them clean spiritually and morally on the inside where it really counts. Paul said unto the pure, meaning unto those who have been washed with the pure water of the gospel, whose hearts have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, are all things pure. In the Old Testament, if someone touched something that was deemed to be unclean under the Old Testament law, maybe they touched a dead body or something, they'd be unclean. Or if they ate an unclean animal, that person also would be considered unclean. But that's not so for a believer in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you don't have to worry about walking through this world and thinking, Oh no, I just touched something. Or, Oh my goodness, I didn't know that was pork. Now I'm unclean. You know, and you don't have to worry about walking through this world on, on, on pins and needles, worried about making yourself unclean. Jesus washes us clean on the inside. And because of that, there is nothing that we can touch or that we can eat on the outside that can defile us. Now, I want to give you a kingdom truth this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. A wonderful kingdom truth. If you are purified from within, then you can't be corrupted from without. If you are purified from within, then you can't be corrupted from without. That doesn't mean you can't sin. But if you're clean on the inside, there is nothing that can make you unclean on the outside. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 39. Jesus told a Pharisee, He said, now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter. And he he said, you Pharisees, y'all take a cup, y'all take a bowl, and, and, and you wash the outside of it. He said, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. And then he says, ye fools, did not he that made that which is without Make that which is within also. And so Jesus tells them. He said. But rather give alms of such things as ye have. And behold. All things are clean unto you. And that's the same kind of language Paul's talking about. He says you give alms. Or you give offerings of things that ye have. And then all things are clean unto you. Jesus was telling them. Instead of giving what you have on the outside. Instead of making a show outwardly. He says, give what you have on the inside. That's what he's telling them. Okay? The words that's translated alms of such things as you have, uh, the the Greek words uh, in, in verse 41, they literally mean give alms of such things from within. I want to read that same text to you from the literal translation. But give alms of the things which are within... And behold, all things are clean to you. So if, you, if, if your religion's on the inside, if you're giving alms of things on the inside, if you're clean inside, you're not going to be dirty outside. I went and picked my wife up yesterday at the airport, and it's so good to have her back. I tell you what. But you know what? When, when, uh, when I, before I go pick her up, 
I always get in the kitchen. Because she leaves me with a clean kitchen. And since she leaves me with a clean kitchen, I want her to come back to a clean kitchen. I don't want her to come back going, oh my goodness. So, guess what old Brother Richard did? He cleaned dishes. And I'm one of the cleanest people I know. I mean, I'm clean. You ask my wife. I'm really clean. And so, when I wash those dishes, where do you think I really concentrated the most? On the inside, right? On the inside of the plate. Not scrubbing the backside of the plate, but on the inside of that bowl or whatever container it is, the pan, the pots and pans. I made sure and clean on the inside. That's where it, it really counts. And those who've been made clean by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they're made clean on the inside. And because they've been made clean on the inside, then to them, on the outside, everything else is clean. There's nothing in this world that can foul the soul of a person who's been made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you getting that? That's powerful. You can sin, yes. You can offend the holy and righteous God, yes. But in God's sight, because you have been justified by your faith in Jesus Christ, in God's sight, you are clean on the inside. <clears throat> in, we walk through a filthy world, man. I tell you, you can't hardly even watch a commercial. I usually... Mute a commercial. I don't watch. We don't watch much TV at all. Usually, it's all old, old black and white stuff. But I usually, if a, if a commercial comes on, I usually mute it, and we'll pay attention to something else. And when it goes off, and my wife will poke me in the shoulder or something, and I'll unmute it, and we'll start watching our gun smoke or whatever we're watching. Yeah. So it's wonderful to know that as a child of God. As we walk through this filthy world, there is nothing in this world that touches us outwardly that can destroy the work of the gospel that Jesus has done inside us. On the other hand, Paul says, look back in your text, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Now, if I'm a believer, I'm not defiled. But if I am not a believer in Jesus Christ, and what that means is not that I... I mean, even the devil believes that Jesus existed. Then we're talking about believing. We're talking about coming to the point in life where you understand that you are a sinner. You have come short of God's standards. And you need Christ in His representation to make you right in the sight of God. And so you trust in Jesus' death on the cross for you. That's a believer. And a believer is not defiled. But every unbeliever is defiled. And every defiled person is an unbeliever. And so Paul says, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving. Because the two go hand in hand. You can't be unbelieving and not be defiled. You can't be defiled and be believing. You see? So, he says, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Nothing is pure. When a person is not washed by the blood of Jesus Christ on the inside, then there is nothing clean to that person on the outside. An unbeliever is defiled by sin. 
They've not been made clean by the gospel. So that unbeliever, they can engage in all the clean things they want to outwardly. But what they do outwardly cannot make them clean inwardly. You getting what Paul's saying here? Doing clean things outwardly can't make you clean inwardly. We've got a lot of people, we've got a lot of churches that teach that you're going to go to heaven based on what you do. Based on how good you live. Man, do you know what that's doing? That's just washing the outside of the cup. That's all that's doing. It's the inside that has to be made clean. And it can only be done by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus and the pure water of His Word. We just read that in Scripture. That's the only thing that can wash you on the inside is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what we have is a lot of people conforming their daily lives to religion. To religious habits. And by doing these religious habits, these religious deeds, they are washing themselves up, making themselves look good on the outside. But again, doing something uh, clean outwardly cannot make you clean inwardly. And doing something unclean outwardly, if you're a believer, cannot make you unclean inwardly. If you're taking notes, write down Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 10 and 11. Jesus said, hear and understand. So what are we going to do? We're about to hear and understand. He says, hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man. In other, in other words, if I take a piece of pork, and I'm a Jew in the Old Testament, and I put that pork in my mouth, and I swallow it, that unclean pork on the outside cannot make me unclean on the inside. Jesus was explaining how the law works. It was just a ceremonial law. It wasn't moral. It wasn't uh, uh, anything like that. So he says, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth. That this defileth a man, Jesus explained. Why? Because out of the mouth, out, out, out of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. I speak what's in my heart. And if there's something dirty in my heart, and that comes out of my mouth, then that, that dirtiness on the inside makes me unclean. But there's nothing outwardly in this world that I can put in my body or put on my body that can actually make me unclean. It's my heart. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So occupying, when we're putting this with the context Paul's speaking about, Occupying a holy position does not make you a holy person. You getting that? Paul's been talking about false teachers. So you can get a false teacher. You can put some religious clothes on him. He can get a nice haircut. He can have a clean Bible in his hand. He can use clean language or whatever. He can get up and he can occupy a holy place. He can stand behind a pulpit like this. He can have pastor, doctor, reverend on the, on the marquee outside. Doctor, reverend, holy, holy, whatever. Do good or Doug. How about that? Doctor, reverend, do good or, do good or Doug. Boy, that'd be beautiful on a marquee. We'd have to have one of those. Digital signs for that, Brother Doug. That's, yeah, we don't want no kind of old kind like we have. 
And he can put all that on there and he can occupy a holy position. But occupying a holy position doesn't make a holy person. In other words, a person who is not born again through faith in Christ, they remain unclean in their sin. And Paul describes that in verse 15 as defiled and unbelieving. Now this defiled and unbelieving person or this unsaved person, if they get a degree in ministry in a seminary somewhere, if they get ordained as a pastor, if they start serving in some type of pastoral role or some other leadership or ministry role, In the church, everything they do outwardly in the church can't make them clean inwardly in their unbelieving heart. Just can't do it. To the clean, I'm sorry, to the unclean, Paul said, there is nothing pure. Man, that's sad. There's nothing pure. Their pulpit is filthy. Their ministry is filthy. The books they write and sell, even if they sell them by the millions, are filthy. Their counseling is filthy. They may occupy a clean position. Look back in your text now. They may occupy a clean position, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. See that? Their mind... Or that in Hebrew, that would have been heart. Their heart and conscience, right? Even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They're contaminated on the inside. They're not giving their alms of that which is within. They're just doing religious things outwardly for the dollar. To make money. Or to have the praise of men. Or whatever it is. But they're not doing it by giving their alms from the inside. You remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, if I were to take my money and I were to give it to the poor, if I were to give my body to be burned and I don't have charity, I don't have love, he said, it profits me nothing. Because all the things he would be doing on the outside, they would not be motivated by the love of God When we talk through the epistles of John, we learn what that meant. God's love for us, our faith in God's love for us, giving His Son on the cross, then makes us in turn love Him and serve Him out of that love. The Bible says, John said, we love Him because He first loved us. So the only way to truly give alms from within, as Jesus said, is to do so by loving Him, who first loved us and our faith in the love He had for us. So I believe in what God did for me on the cross. I see the love He had when He gave His Son. And because I see the love He has for me and I believe it and I accept it, I now love Him back. And now I get up in the pulpit and now I teach His Word out of love for you on account of His love for me. I teach His Word because I loved Him who first loved me. Then I'm doing what? I'm giving alms from within. You see? I'm not just giving alms from without and being dead and undefiled and unbelieving and not having my faith in Jesus on the inside. If that's the case, I can get up and stand in the pulpit all day and it's still unclean. Still unclean. Don't look outwardly. When you're selecting a preacher, 
Don't just look at what he does on the outside. Paul's warning. Paul said, everything they do is tainted, is defiled, because it's done in unbelief, it's done for filthy lucre or dirty money. Paul said their mind and conscience is defiled. Their mind is speaking about the way they think. Their conscience is speaking about the way they perceive morality. Their perception of right and wrong, Paul said, is defiled. You getting that? Their perception of what's right and wrong is defiled. Their minds and consciences are soiled by their wicked flesh, by their unbelieving flesh. That's why Baptist pastors, a lot of the Baptist pastors recently have been supporting Walt Disney. Who is supporting sexual perversion in our children. Their mind and conscience is defiled. I have a co-worker who's Methodist. And her church recently lost their pastor. How many of y'all ever belonged to a Methodist church before? Anybody? A couple people? Then y'all know when a Methodist church loses a pastor, then the Methodist denomination, they send them a new pastor. They appoint them a new pastor. It's not like they have to get a pulpit committee and go around searching and having applications come in. The, the, the hierarchy sends them a pastor. That's not how we do it, but that's how they do it. And so their Methodist hierarchy, when they lost their pastor, decided to send my co-worker's church a young homosexual male as their new pastor. A 20-something-year-old homosexual man to be these people's spiritual leader. Now, you can take that man... You can stick a Bible in his hand. I doubt he reads it. But you can stick a Bible in his hand. You can put some robes on him. You can put a nice smile on his face. And you can have him get up and do all the things and sprinkle the, sprinkle the people and with the little baptistry water and do all the things they do. But unto them that are defiled, those who are unclean, there's nothing pure. Nothing pure. Their Methodist leaders decided to send their church uh, someone else because the church members, when they found they were going to get a young homosexual male, they revolted and said, We don't want a homosexual as our pastor. And so the Methodist leader said, okay, okay, well, we'll find someone else for you. So they decided they would send them a heterosexual, and I don't know if it's a man or a woman yet. They're going to send a heterosexual person, at least one who claims to be. And the people are like, okay, okay, that's better. Now, do you see the contamination of their mind and conscience here? The Methodist leader's conscience doesn't see anything wrong with placing a homosexual, someone the Bible says has a reprobate mind. And placing someone with a reprobate mind over the church. <laughs> and on the other hand, 
the church's conscience, who, who refused the homosexual and said no, they don't see anything wrong with that homosexual going to a different church and pastoring as long as it's not theirs. Well, they can go to a, he can go to the Methodist church over there. He just can't come to the Methodist church over here. And so they continue to be Methodists, which means the money they send into the offering plate, a portion that's going to go to support the Methodist hierarchy, which is sending homosexuals all over the United States to pastor. Both the leadership and the people in the pew are wrong. Let me tell you, I like being independent Baptist. We're independent. There is no hierarchy anywhere out there. We don't belong to the Southern Baptist Convention. We don't belong to, we don't belong to anything but Jesus. We've got the church. We've got the Bible. And we're just waiting on Jesus to come. I like it. But if we did, because I have pastored Southern Baptist churches before. I wouldn't do it again. But if we did belong to a denomination like that say we were in southern baptist and say southern baptist started sending out homosexuals uh to pastor somewhere there wouldn't be a red cent from what was brought in here go to some hierarchy that's that's disobeying god's word in such a wicked way i would separate myself from that denomination just like that and if y'all said, no, we want to stay, I'd say, well, y'all stay, and I'm going to go. That's what I'd do. But that's the mind and conscience that's defiled that Paul is talking about. The, the, their ability to be able to interpret right and wrong, it's all messed up. Oh, yes, Paul said, look in verse 16, they profess that they know God. In other words, they make a claim of their love and their faith in Him outwardly. Sure they do. They still claim to be a church. They still claim to be pastors, the little light and the loafers. But they claim to be a pastor. They say they know God. They call themselves a church. Look back in your text. But in works, they deny Him. Now... People say, well, I'd never deny Jesus. I'm going to tell you what I hate. I hate looking on social media and someone saying, the Bible says, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. So make sure and share this so you don't deny Jesus. Man, I'd, <laughs> I wouldn't share anything so stupid as that. That's stupid. That's not what it means to deny Jesus. Like, like God's up there in heaven saying, Okay, they shared, they shared that post. They can, we can let them on in. Or they didn't share that post. Oh, they denied me. Man, God's not interested in Facebook. He's not interested in those silly things. But here's what I want you to see. You can share that stuff all day long. You can go around telling everyone, I love Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Do you see how they denied Jesus here in the book of Titus? They didn't deny him by what they said. They denied him by what they did. By their works, they denied him. You can get up all day long and say, Oh, praise the name of Jesus. We, fought, we are followers of Jesus. Meanwhile, while you're claiming to be following him outwardly, you're doing the exact opposite of what he says. Your heart's not in agreement with his word. 
You're sending homosexual pastors out or transsexual, whatever they are. You're committing uh, 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 marriages of gay marriages in the church that God says an abomination. So you can claim to love God. You can claim to be a church. You can claim to be a pastor all day long. But it's what you do that's going to determine if you're in agreement with His Word or if you're not. If you love me, keep my commandments. But they're denying Him by their works. Don't look at what they claim. Look at what they do. Are they teaching according to God's Word? Are they doing according to God's Word? Again, what they do is contradicting what they claim. Verse 16, underscore the word profess. Now underscore the word works. Profess is what we say. Works is what we do. A person's actions reveals a person's heart. What we say outwardly will be justified by our works or it will be denied by our works. The book of James teaches that. And these ministers deny with their works the God they claim with their mouths. I couldn't help but think as we begin to close now about these sorry politicians who claim to know God. They especially claim Him conveniently when they need to. But then they vote to support everything God stands against. They claim to believe God, but they do contrary to what God says. They claim to love God, but they don't obey God. They claim to be righteous and holy, but they they live unrighteously and support unholy things. They and pastors like them profess that they know God, but they deny God with their works. Look back in your text, being abominable and disobedient. And literally that means detestable and unpersuadable. That word disobedient in the Greek, it's unpersuadable. They make themselves out to be holy, but they are detestable, loathsome creatures who have no more business in a church than the serpent did in the Garden of Eden. They make themselves out to be followers of God, but where it says disobedient, it means they won't be persuaded by the Word of God. They make themselves out to be followers of God's Word, but they won't be persuaded by God's Word. You can show them the Scripture, and it won't change their minds. We've all probably had family like that, or friends like that, that claim to be Christians, and they believe a certain way. You can take the Bible and show them right out of the Bible, clearly what the Bible says about it, and I don't care... Uh, how well you show them, how well you read them, how clear it is, it won't change their minds. They're unpersuadable because they're going to do what they want to do and not what God says, even though they claim to know Him. I don't care how holy a person claims to be. If they can't be confronted and convinced by God's Word, then they are not God's servants. Bottom line. The only way to be made clean by the blood of Christ is to first acknowledge the truth of God's Word. Where's the gospel at? It's in the Bible. So you're not going to be able to believe the gospel the way it's written unless you accept the Bible the way it's written. 
You can't believe in Christ apart from God's Word because the Gospel is God's Word. That's where the Gospel is recorded in no place else. So if a person claims to believe in Jesus, but they believe contrary to the Word about everything else, then that person is a liar. Those who reject the Word of God deny the God of the Word. They are abominable and unpersuadable. Look back in your text. And unto every good work reprobate. Now that word reprobate means rejected. They are rejected unto every good work. Why? Because under the clean, un, I'm sorry, unto the unclean, there is nothing clean. <laughs> God doesn't accept the work. The Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So whatever I'm doing in the name of God, that's not based on my faith in the Son of God, it's rejected. It's sin. Just like Cain, whenever he, in the name of God, put offering on his altar, it was not done by faith. That's what the Bible said was, was the difference between his and Abel's offering. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It was rejected. Cain brought religious works. Cain was rejected because he did not do so by faith. They don't labor in the name of Christ based on their faith in Christ. They're imposters who've rejected the truth of God and therefore they're rejected from the service of God. They don't serve God out of their love for Jesus that they believe in. Preaching a gospel the, pro the apostles proclaimed or following the word of the Spirit of God that He's given. They simply wash the outside of the cup where men can see. But they are abominable and they're disobedient on the inside. Or as Jesus says, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves on the inside, sheep's clothing on the outside. Looking good to the eyes of men, but rejected in the eyes of God. Where do you stand this morning? Have you been made clean on the inside? Or have you just reformed your life? Try to make sure you do better than everybody else. Try to make sure that you say, well, I, I do some good things and I believe in God and all that. Have you been born again? Have you been made clean through faith in Jesus Christ? If not... No matter what you do in God's name, it's rejected. Unto the unclean, there's nothing clean. But thank God if you've been born again, unto those who are pure, everything is pure. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you, Father, for showing us the difference between outward service and inward sanctification. Thank you, Father, for the gospel that sprinkles us with the blood of Christ and washes us with the pure water of your word. Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, that this will, message will be sealed to our hearts. And if anyone is here today and they don't know Christ as their Savior, that they'll reach out and let someone here, Father, show them how to, how to be saved before it's eternally too late. We thank you for everyone here this morning. We ask in Jesus' name.